Drawing a line on a map is never straightforward. Wars have been fought over less. From geopolitical shifts down to pacing individual metres on the ground, there is a whole science to drawing maps, deciding frontiers and demarcating exactly whose land is whose. Now, drawing borders might feel very 19th century, but there are many places around the world where the boundaries are still a little fuzzy. Countries may have an idea where the border is, but they never just quite marked down the detail. Between Egypt and Sudan is the area of Bir Tawil, a patch of empty desert that neither side lays claim to. It's got no inhabitants and no laws. But now there is one less unmarked border, as Lebanon and Israel have agreed, after years of indirect talks, to demarcate exactly where their border lies. It might appear just an administrative achievement, an event to be noted as a quirk of geography and diplomacy, but this agreement could already have averted a war. It could have major consequences for both countries, and getting it wrong could have cost somebody millions. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at what it means that Lebanon and Israel have agreed exactly where their maritime border lies. First, though, if you like Beyond the Headlines and want to get every episode as soon as it lands, just hit the subscribe button in your podcasting app. On October 11th, officials from Lebanon and Israel independently said that they'd hashed out the details of a new maritime border. The two sides didn't talk directly, so there was no historic handshakes or joint press conferences, but it did nothing to diminish the significance of the event. For over a decade, with the United States acting as go-between, the sides have been trying to reach an agreement in on-off bursts of talks. The final text hasn't been released, we'll update you when it is, but to understand more of what makes it so important, I spoke to the Nationals Jamie Prentice and Nada Homsi in Beirut, who have been covering every twist and turn of the negotiations. Nada, can you start off by just telling us what is this deal? Uh, so this is a maritime deal between Israel and Lebanon in which the two have finally, after over a decade of negotiation, delineated their maritime boundary. Uh, the conflict has been over a really sliver, a sliver of maritime area. So they've finally figured out most of the coordinates for that. And why is it that they're now sitting down to finally make an agreement about the maritime border? That is a really good question. So the negotiations had been stalled for about a year until last June when Israel deployed a vessel basically to start extracting gas from a gas field that it laid claim to called Karish. Uh, that almost started a whole international incident with Hezbollah saying uh, that if they did extract gas from that gas field, which Lebanon also laid partial claim to, uh, that they would retaliate and it would turn into an armed escalation. So uh, Lebanon and Israel both don't really want a war right now. What that did is it spurred the negotiations, it jump-started them. Uh, yes, it did almost uh, start an armed conflict, but it also got us to the point we are at today, which is that a maritime delineation has finally been agreed upon. So really what is kind of behind all this is is possible oil and gas. So this deal only 
represents the maritime border. It doesn't represent the border on land, right? Not at all. In fact, part of the agreement that we were just looking at uh, stipulates that the uh, the maritime border, it's supposed to start from where the Lebanon-Israel land border begins. But since that hasn't been really agreed upon officially yet, the maritime boundary is going to start a little bit uh, w- into the sea. Um, and that is until basically the land border is agreed upon in future negotiations. And I'm going to just bring Jamie in at this point. So Jamie, we don't have all of the details of the agreement yet. That hasn't been released. But but what do we know so far about what the terms of this agreement are? Obviously, as you said, there's there's still details coming out, and it, and it's uh, you know it's quite complicated and detailed. But in terms of uh, one of the one of the big disputes was related to a prospect gas field called Kana, um, and under the proposed deal, Lebanon has basically said it would get complete control of this gas field off uh, in the Mediterranean Sea um, and it would license uh, the likely license the French company Total to uh, conduct explorations in there. Um, but a big sort of point of dispute has been that as part of the deal, Israel would get uh, a portion of the royalties uh, from uh, any future operations in Kana, you know Lebanese officials have been very clear that any such potential future deal would have nothing to do with them, and and uh, it would not constitute a working relationship, and it would be uh, something that Total and the Israelis uh, would sort out. Um, but we we heard uh, you know last night that the Israeli Prime Minister said that um, Israel would get. Uh, 17% uh, of the royalties from of the revenues from Kana. Um, so that was sort of quite a big contentious issue that was being discussed during the negotiations. Yeah, and, and you touch on something there that, that I think is quite important. So obviously, Lebanon and Israel don't have diplomatic relations. They're technically at a state of war. So how has this deal been negotiated? So it's been negotiated, we should really refer to them as indirect negotiations, I guess, because the, at least in recent months, the US energy envoy, uh, Amos Hochstein, has been mediating these talks. He's been doing shuttle diplomacy, going uh, to and from uh, Israel, Lebanon and the US, conducting meetings with you know, senior officials and reporting back to the US. So essentially, he's been relaying each side's uh, position and the position of the US administration in a bid to try and basically get them closer together. So Nada, how's the deal been kind of perceived and, and received in Lebanon? You know, what are people saying about the news? It's really hard to say. Uh, as you know, Lebanon has been in a long and protracted economic crisis since 2019. And so people are really desperate for economic recovery. Lebanon's politicians have been kind of touting this as uh, a way to generate oil wealth and gas wealth and build economic recovery and get out of this problem, this big, huge economic problem that Lebanon is in. Uh, Realistically speaking, though, I think expectations in Lebanon uh, are more tempered. I think people in Lebanon are very aware of... um, of the propensity for things in Lebanon to take a very long time. So uh, you have one half of the people or, you know, you have a 
a corner of the population that's uh, pleased that finally this deal has been made. And then, of course, another area of the population that is kind of waiting to, to wait and see how this issue of the uh, gas and oil revenues to Israel is going to go. Because uh, no matter how you look at it, I think that the majority of Lebanese people think Lebanon has made too many concessions. Uh, I've spoken to experts, all of whom say that the chances, the prospective Qatar gas field, which Lebanon got in the deal, uh, the chances that it will have hydrocarbons, oil, gas, they're only 20 percent. And so even if hydrocarbons are found in that field, it'll then take years until extraction begins and until revenue starts rolling in. So uh, in reality and practically speaking, economic recovery through hydrocarbons is still maybe imaginary and best case scenario a long way away. I mean, that's that cuts the heart of it, right? We're, we're really talking about hypotheticals, that there potentially are hydrocarbons in the area that is somewhere between Lebanon and Israel, and they've now agreed to that demarcation in case those hydrocarbons are found, right? Yes, exactly. And Jamie, so what are the sort of next steps from here? Is there talk that Israel and Lebanon will carry on in these kind of informal negotiations to demarcate the land border, or is this kind of it now? I think, um, you know, the draft agreement that we've seen has been very clear that uh, and as Nada has already said, is that the the uh, land negotiations are are not related to this, and I don't think we've seen it sort of any indication that that will be resolved uh, anytime soon. Um, and certainly, everyone's been very clear that it certainly doesn't mark any sort of normalizing or even step towards normalizing. And I guess you know the the elephant in the room, perhaps, is that. Lebanon has a history of of corruption and of these incredibly wasteful government projects that sort of never quite materialize. So they've agreed this this boundary and they're going to start looking for oil and gas. Is there a conversation happening around, well, how do we make sure that that money actually goes to paying for things that people need? I certainly think that there, it's something that you might read about on social media and maybe the occasional politician may say it, but I, d- I don't know if Nada, you, you might know more than me, but I certainly haven't seen that being mentioned among the uh, the big political figures and parties, should we say. Yeah, I agree. It definitely hasn't really been a point of discussion among Lebanon's political class, but uh, there are a lot. There is a lot of criticism, and actually, no, the change MPs. We have thirteen opposition members of parliament that have sort of touched on the subject, and experts say that. In fact, instead of focusing on the issue of oil and gas and on this maritime deal, they should be focusing on the reforms because there's a number of economic reforms that need to be instated um, before Lebanon can be pulled out of its economic crisis. So I think people are just more focused on economic recovery than they are on the future of the maritime border and the gas field. Lastly, uh, how has Hezbollah responded to the agreement? Hassan Nasrallah has basically said that he would support what the government does in this. Uh, so essentially, it could be seen as as Hezbollah's uh, tacit approval. Thanks to Jamie and Nada there. OK, so a decade of intermittent talks via the US and now an agreement that both sides will, at the same time, declare their respective boundaries to the US, who will log it at the UN, and the deal is done. So we also caught up with Joyce Karam, 
a US correspondent for The National, who's been following the international aspect of these talks. Joyce, can you tell us how the international community sees the deal? The international community has obviously welcomed uh, the deal, given that this is the first such demarcation agreement uh, between uh, Lebanon and Israel since uh, the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. This is also the first agreement between Lebanon and Israel, not bilaterally, but through the U.S., since uh, 1983 and uh, the May agreement then that collapsed later. It was during the civil war, very different uh, circumstances. But overall, this is a sign that the two states uh, can resolve outstanding issues peacefully and through third-party negotiations. And that has to be welcome by the international community after decades of war uh, between Israel and Lebanon. Uh, for uh, the United States specifically, this is a sign that this agreement could promote regional integration and regional stability as well. What's the long-term goal here? There might not be one goal here, rather set of objectives. First off, this this deal establishes precedent, uh, a mechanism uh, that these disputes between Israel and Lebanon can be resolved peacefully, and the status of the United States of America as the one and key mediator in uh, resolving conflict between Israel and uh, its Arab neighbors. Second, this means a boost for the energy markets, uh, for uh, oil exploration in the Mediterranean waters. Uh, it's important for the U.S., it's important for uh, the these Mediterranean countries, but it's also very important for Europe as it tries to lessen its dependency on Russian gas and oil. The drilling in uh, Karish has already uh, started. Lebanon could join this market in uh, five or six years if the uh, Kana uh, gas field uh, promises to see its potential in that regard. Are international partners worried about corruption and Hezbollah? The the term Lebanon is synonymous, unfortunately, now with corruption. So definitely uh, there are concerns about uh, corruption, uh, not just as it relates to Hezbollah, but just overall and in the country and how politics and business have, have been done. But for this deal to succeed, for a successful exploration of oil and gas, Lebanon will need a transparent operation in in attracting foreign investment. These big companies uh, have their own measures, have their own uh, rules, and uh, won't be, uh, you know, playing by the by the Lebanese or Hezbollah uh, rules in how they operate in these cases. I mean, as for Hezbollah, obviously, it will try to benefit politically and economically from this. But I don't think this deal uh, per se is a game changer for Hezbollah, not in fighting. Uh, nor in making peace of Israel. And of course, it has other uh, sources of revenue. 
you know, mentioning the, the captagon trade, for example, uh, and other sources uh, within and outside uh, Lebanon. So it's not very dependent on this deal, whether politically or economically. Now, remember, it only demarcates the maritime border, the bit at sea, not the land borders, where UN peacekeepers still patrol and watch. And there are no plans, as of now, to keep the talks going over the land border because of one simple thing. Money. Now that there's a deal on the maritime border, the two sides can move ahead with licensing private companies to explore for oil and gas without worry. While it appears that the area they're already calling the Kana gas prospect will go to Lebanon and the so-called Karish gas prospect will go to Israel. Israel already has a booming hydrocarbon industry and Lebanon wants in on the lucrative trade. To understand what this deal means for Lebanon's dream of finding oil and gas, we spoke to Mark Ayoub, a Lebanese oil and gas expert. Now, Mark says that while there is a deal, it doesn't exactly solve all of the issues. It contains a lot of ambiguous articles which will create problems in the future. Um, So in a nutshell, uh, yes, Israel has uh, got the the full um, ownership of Karish, while Lebanon has got the ownership uh, between brackets, let's say, or between quote-unquote, the full ownership of Kana, the agreement includes a financial uh, payment that should be done or financial agreement that is uh, being currently discussed between Israel and the operator of Block 9, which is Total. So uh, Israel will be receiving payments on uh, in return to the southern part of Kana field, while Lebanon will develop the full Kana field. Uh, the, la- the the agreement didn't uh, mention anything related to the land boundary, so it pushed forward or it pushed this issue of the land boundaries to a further uh, period when Lebanon and Israel renegotiate the issue of the land boundaries. So the maritime boundary line will start at a point that is in the sea, but the issue is, or the main issue is, it has a lot of uh, future uh, articles that will be causing problems and ambiguous articles, as I mentioned, because everything that will Outside of Kana field, everything that will be explored later on, uh, like looking at the bigger picture and uh, for us not to be pessimistic on that front, um, this agreement for Lebanon, at least, it removes the political and geopolitical hurdles that were put early in the past five to six years in front of developing its, uh, its oil and gas wealth. Mark highlights the issues. But he also says that you need to be realistic about what Lebanon could get out of the deal at this time. It is, he points out, facing a dire economic collapse that's seen well over half of the population pushed into poverty, food shortages, a banking collapse and standards of living plummet. I don't think that Lebanon could have made any better agreement. Uh, And this is because, not really because of uh, the mediator, it is because of our faults. So uh, this agreement is the result of consecutive faults uh, uh, done by the Lebanese. On the other side, we are not expecting or we don't expect at any point Israel to uh, leave its sovereignty or to say, look, we are giving Lebanon Kana and we don't want any uh, anything in return. So how I see it is that uh, um, it's the best that could be done at this moment, at this geopolitical moment. Okay, so Lebanon and Israel have a deal. 
Israel gets the gas prospect that they already are looking to explore, and a share of the royalties to the gas prospect that Lebanon is looking to explore. So what's the chances that Lebanon will actually find gas in this field? Like out of five wells, when you drill five wells, out of five wells that are drilled, there's only one that is that has the probability, probability of being successful. That means we have 20 to 25% potential of having a successful well and 80% probability of not finding anything. That's why with this deal being signed, we cannot say that Lebanon has become an oil producing country or a gas producing country until Total or the consortium comes and tell us in a few months' time that we have found a prospect or a discovery in that area. There's no guarantee, but say they do find gas in the area, as Israel has off their coast or neighbouring Cyprus has. What's the timeline then? Let's say, like, if we are too optimistic, next year, uh, like this time, a year from now, Total will come back to us and tell us, like, look, I found... Uh, I, I found a prospect or this is a potential discovery uh, or not, or this is a dry well. If we assume that Total will come and do past activities within our within the block nine, be, after that, if there is a discovery, then it will need to move and, into developing that well and then moving into several lengthy processes of steps uh, so that this uh, well becomes similar to the Karish field currently. And this won't be happening uh, in less than three, let's say, if we are too optimistic, but like if we, if we say a medium range in, in terms of five years, that means like it will need us at least five to six years to see things happening uh, if we are, again, too optimistic on that, on that front. And we won't see money flowing and gas flowing as well from that field beyond that time. So it is a lengthy process, assuming that no other tensions are created at the border, no other political and administrative delays are are caused, and that things will operate normally. That means in the most successful smooth scenario, Lebanon is looking at five to seven years before any commercial drilling can start bringing gas and oil out of the ground. But of course, if that first drill comes up dry, it'll be another year or so before a second and so on. Look, uh, we cannot really assume that we will be having uh, that this, this this deal today will be solving our economic crisis not at all whatever revenues will take some time to flow into our our economy plus those will be limited uh, resources or limited profits compared to the depth of our economic crisis like let's not forget that we have around a 70 billion gap 72 to 75 billion gap in our economy that we don't really know how to fill So Mark urges the Lebanese government instead of placing their hopes on potential oil and gas revenue to instead focus on economic reforms that can help the people of the country tomorrow and the day after, not years down the line. Thanks to Nada Homsi and Jamie Prentice in Beirut, Joyce Karam in Washington and Mark Ayoub in Lebanon. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And this week we were produced by Arthur Edison and Thomas Smith. If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, hit subscribe in your podcast app. And if you can leave us a review while you're there, it makes all the difference.